Welcome to the Science Show on Cambridge 105. Today with the news that, for the first time, more children are taking up guitar in school, particularly the electric guitar, in preference to other instruments, we'll be looking at the science behind the guitar. Yep, with the help of our guest, who's been involved in the industry as both a respected touring musician and in the selling of guitars, we'll be finding out how they work. So we'll be hearing about whether we're paying for the name of the company or the quality of an instrument if we're looking for a good guitar. All that coming up just after this bit of a tune. This is The Science Show on Cambridge 105, the community radio in your city. We start with a hello from me, Roger Frost. And a hello from me, Neil Ainsby. And we're here to bring you 30 minutes of the science that they mostly never told us about in school and a special focus on the sciencey things that are happening here in Cambridge. So our show today is about the science behind the different types of guitar. There are loads of different kinds of guitar on the market but what is it that makes one model more desirable and ultimately more expensive than another and how do they work yep lots of people including guitarists know how the guitars are played but not how they actually produce their sounds now many of us i'm sure will have memories of a school science lesson in which we built something akin to a guitar using rubber bands and a cardboard box to demonstrate how sound is created through the plucking of the strings and the resulting vibrations. And with so many different types of guitar available, we'll be finding out how much is involved actually in the sound that we get from those various models and whether or not this impacts on the price. Or are we indeed just paying for a brand name or the association that that brand has with a particular musician? Today's guest is uh, Graham Buxton. Graham has lived and worked in the Cambridge area for many years and it's a name that many local live music fans and musicians will recognise for a long musical pedigree that continues to this day. And in addition, Graham has spent many years selling guitars and advising new musicians, and perhaps more importantly, advising the parents who hold the purse strings as to the pros and cons of each instrument. So let's listen now as Neil starts by asking Graham about the kinds of guitars that are available. Well, obviously the first two categories you would think of would be electric or acoustic. Acoustic guitar being just a general guitar with a box, no electrics, nothing to plug into. And an electric guitar obviously having generally no sound holes and nothing that generates the sound itself. And it has pickups and has to be plugged into an amplifier. But of course then you split those acoustic guitars and electric guitars into their various other categories. With acoustic guitars you've got steel strung which are generally the most popular, certainly in popular music and rock music. But you've got the nylon guitars, or classical guitars, which are more or less the same thing. Uh, obviously, as the name suggests, classical guitars are primarily for classical music or uh, Spanish flamenco music, very similar. Although, you see, even those are slightly different. And, of course, nylon guitars, classical guitars, are used in popular music as well occasionally. You don't hear them quite as much. Electric guitars, obviously, you've got purely solid-bodied electric guitars, which don't have any cavity, only sa any sound hole that generates a sound within itself. But then you've got the um, semi-acoustic guitars, which have a body, 
but it's not meant to produce an acoustic sound. In other words, it's still designed to be plugged in. It's not a compromised guitar. It just gives you a different tone when it's plugged in. And then you've got other slightly more peculiar guitars. You've got 12 strings. Obviously, normally a normal guitar is six strings. And a 12-string guitar has six strings doubled up. So they're in pairs, like a mandolin. You can get that with 12 strings with electric and acoustics. And then you've got more peculiar things like baritone guitars, which are used, I think, primarily they were designed for country music. They were used in country, called big, deep twang. They're, they're somewhere between a normal electric guitar and a bass guitar. So they're longer, longer than a regular guitar, not quite as long as a bass guitar, with longer, thicker strings for a deeper twang. But they're not, generally speaking, designed to be used as a bass guitar. Bass guitars being something different again. <laughs> OK, so let's concentrate first of all on the acoustic side of things. So a classical guitar with nylon strings presumably gives a softer sound? Generally a softer sound, softer strings, obviously. Uh, a lot of, you'll find a lot of pupils will start, a lot of schools will normally encourage pupils to start on a classical or nylon guitar. They're generally cheaper because there's not so much involved in the construction. Nylon strings don't have the tension in them that steel strings do, so they don't have to have, generally they don't have what they call a truss rod, which is a metal rod that goes through the neck to support the, the neck because of the strain that it's under with uh, metal strings. So a nylon guitar will generally be a bit cheaper. You know, you can get the, a beginner's guitar for quite sensible money and still be a decent guitar. It's a lot easier on the fingers because it's nylon, so you don't get you're, not, you're less likely to get blisters on your fingers. I'm not saying you wouldn't, but you still, you're less likely to. OK, so the, the strings are an important thing towards the sound. Is there anything else about the properties of the materials that go into a guitar that affect the sound? So, for example, the, the wood of the body, is that an important factor? Oh, yeah, most definitely. You'll find that most budget guitars, and I'm going to be talking about acoustic guitars here primarily to start off with, an acoustic guitar, a budget one that a, that a student might start with, would generally be a, a laminate guitar. So in other words, the wood is probably just a plywood and they are normally sprayed. So if you see a black one it would be, or, or a blue one or whatever, it would have just been sprayed that colour. If it looks like wood, they'd probably put a veneer over. So you'd, at least what you're looking at is a natural piece of wood. But they are nevertheless just a piece of plywood and they use the you know cheaper machine heads. I would say cheaper strings, but actually strings don't vary in price that much, so that's not really that important. But certainly that was that's where they start. When they start getting a little bit better and you start spending a little bit more money, you get a solid top. The top is, if you look at the guitar, the one that had the piece of wood that would be facing you, if you looked at the front of a guitar, that has the sound hole in, has the big compact disc size hole, <laughs> that would be what they call a solid top. So that would be a natural solid piece of spruce or possibly cedar. There are other words, but spruce and cedar tend to be the most popular. When you spend more again, that's when you start quite often see them advertised as all solid. So in other words, the top is a solid piece of spruce uh, or cedar. Um, the back and the sides would also be solid, and then you're getting into much more money because obviously you're, you're sourcing uh, natural pieces of wood from a tree and there's, there's no laminates, there's no spraying involved generally, so you will pay a bit more money for that privilege. The back and the sides generally, by the way, will be normally mahogany or rosewood. There are all kinds of other 
woods that are used, but traditionally those are the two most popular. Okay, so but and what is it about a hard wood that produces this better sound or causes the quality to be better? What is it about them? Um, well, the, I mean, there are lots of arguments about what's the better wood for making the guitar, and obviously there's also a lot of personal taste that comes into these things. Mm-hmm. Cedar, for instance, is a softer wood than spruce, and it marks more easily. You'll find a lot of people with cedar top guitars, the, the tops get damaged more easily. Um, it's a cosmetic thing, it doesn't necessarily matter that much, but uh, a softer wood would generally give a, a, a warmer tone and a harder wood would give a brighter tone but that's um, not necessarily the case it also depends on the closeness and straightness of the grain the, on a top for instance uh, the quality of a, a good top is usually measured it's not a it's not a guaranteed uh, way of looking of, of judging a good guitar but uh, the finer and tighter and straighter the grain was always not something that was desired and a luthier in a, in a guitar factory might Oh, that's a nice piece of wood because it's got a nice, fine, straight grain. So there are other things that come into play as regardless of whether a, a wood is hard or soft. But, yeah, so a, a softer wood would give a warmer tone, a harder wood would give a brighter tone. But that's a generalisation because it doesn't always work out that way. OK. Right, so we, we've talked a little bit about acoustic guitars, how they work, and so basically when we have been making our little shoe boxes with the rubber bands mm-hmm. on in school... We're working on the same principle. It's the sound of the strings or the rubber bands yep. echoing in our little box. Yeah, vibrating, and then you've got a box that, um, that the sound is moving around with the inside that box and being effectively even amplified. Super. Now, the electric guitars, obviously, you mentioned earlier on that these don't have any real kind of space to make the sound vibrate more. So what is it about an electric guitar? How is the sound transferred? Obviously, it comes out of an amplifier. What's the basic route it takes from your strings to the amplifier? Well, most commonly the bit of magnetic pickup, which is the magnets are picking up the, the vibrations of a steel string. It generally won't work with a nylon string. Uh, with nylon string guitars, you'll get what they call a transducer, which you'll get in steel string acoustics as well, which picks up the vibrations in a different way. But a magnetic pickup is picking up the vibrations of a steel, generally a steel string, and then that sound is amplified through obviously a guitar cable to an amplifier so a semi-acoustic electric guitar obviously has got a little a bit of a body to it um but as i said earlier it's not there for the guitar to be played acoustically that's not the idea you can and it will create a little bit more volume but it's not what it's meant for it's creating a different tone so with pickups what i read about or hear about musicians guitarists changing their pickups, making a different, adding perhaps a humbucker, for example, mm-hmm. is one name I've heard mm-hmm. mentioned. Is there a difference between the kind of pickups you can get and how are they different? Yes, yes, there are. Again, as with the guitars, there are many, many different types of pickups. Initially, you would probably, with an electric guitar, you would split it into two categories, the humbucker that you've just mentioned and a single coil. The early electric guitars had a single coil pickup so it is a a single coil uh, it's a it's a row of magnets with a single coil of, of wire wound around them many many times and that in itself is an art and um the problem with single coil pickups and, and they are still very popular the most probably the most famous electric guitar of all time the fender stratocaster 
has a single core pickup traditionally. You can get them with humbuckers, and that is still the most popular electric guitar even now, even you know, 50, 60 years later. And it has single core pickups. They're a brighter, thinner sound than a humbucker, and they're noisy. They're not noisy from a live performance point of view. The noise was never generally considered to be a problem. It could become a problem in the studio and became more of a problem in studios later on once you got towards the sort of late 60s when people like Hendrix started deliberately cranking amplifiers up, overdriving them, turning them up, making them a lot louder. With that extra noise and that extra gain from the amplifier, any noise, any buzzing that the pickup was creating got amplified even more so. So it became a bit of a problem. It was common practice, and still probably is common practice, with a single core guitar like a Stratocaster or a Telecaster to attach a piece of wire, believe it or not. It seems very Heath Robinson, <laughs> but it actually works. A piece of wire attached to, the, attached to the bridge, maybe attached to the mixing desk in the studio to cancel out that earth hum. So what do we do about that? So the idea was that if you took two single coil pickups effectively and wired them together in a figure of eight, so you ended up with two pickups wired together, that it bucked the hum, hence the name humbucker, and it cancelled out that noise. I don't know if anybody really considered this when, when the first humbuckers were, were built, but as a consequence of wiring two single coil pickups, pickups together to make a humbucker you increase the output and the volume and you've got a thicker louder sound from that pickup so humbuckers became very popular in a lot of the more rock style guitars because the higher output of the pickup allowed you to drive an amplifier more easily if you set an amplifier at a sort of halfway volume for instance plugged stratocaster or telecaster into it you would get that thin bright Great sound, personally still my favourite sound. So it's not it's a bad thing, it's not a wrong, it's not wrong, it's just uh, it's just different. If you then plugged in uh, a Gibson Les Paul, another fam- a famous brand of guitar you may have heard of, which would traditionally have humbuckers, the volume that you would get from the amplifier, just simply by swapping from one guitar to the other, would increase quite a bit. And generally speaking, because you're sending a hotter signal into the amplifier, the amplifier is much more likely to distort. So if you want a deliberately overdriven and distorted sound, a humbucker will do that more successfully. More recently, you started getting, uh, I think it started in around the 80s, you started getting what they call a coil tap, which gave you the best of both worlds. So you could have a humbucker on a guitar, you would have a button or a switch, which turned half of that humbucker off, so it became a single coil again. <laughs> And you'll see quite a lot of guitars with a mixture of pickups, humbuckers and single coils, with or without coil taps, which gives you countless different tone settings. But that's it. There are you could go on uh, in greater length than that, but that in essence is are the most popular pickups, and that's what they do: single coil and humbucker. Super. One guitar we haven't mentioned, we mentioned the semi-acoustic, mm-hmm. but there's another which is the electroacoustic. Okay. Yeah. Which kind of sound receptor does that have? Okay, that's a really common, confused point between what's a semi-acoustic and what's an electro-acoustic. Semi-acoustic is effectively, nevertheless, an electric guitar. It's not designed to be anything other than an electric guitar. As I said earlier, it's got a sound hole, it's got a body with a cavity in it, 
generally most of them have what they call an F-hole. Instead of the big compact disc circular hole that you might be familiar with on an acoustic guitar, they would have two F-holes because they look like letter Fs. And those are, as I say, they are not designed to be played as an acoustic guitar. They are just to give a different sound for an electric guitar. An electric acoustic is an acoustic guitar that is designed to be played purely acoustically. So you can quite happily sit in your living room and play it as an acoustic guitar and it will make a perfectly good and loud enough sound or have a microphone placed in front of it in, in a studio to give an acoustic guitar sound. What do you do then if you are playing acoustic guitar? You want an acoustic guitar sound, but in a live performance situation. You could put a microphone in front, but a microphone in anything other than a very quiet PA system in a very sedate and intimate venue, maybe for jazz perhaps, might be fine. But as soon as you start putting a microphone in front of a guitar and then amplify it and turn the sound system up, there's a good likelihood you will get feedback. The other problem is that the guitarist is then rooted to the spot. You can't <laughs> move, you don't move off axis at all because otherwise the, ch the sound will change. So an, an acoustic guitar can have a pickup similar to an electric guitar, but it, they, tend, they tend to be what they call transducers normally, and they work purely by vibration and sit under the bridge of the guitar. The strings put the pressure on that pickup and that generates the sound. But it means that you can then plug that acoustic guitar into an amplifier and have the freedom of, of movement and, generally speaking, far less likelihood of it feeding back. Although they can still feed back, but it's just far less likely. Yeah, case in point being, I feel fine by the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, well, that was an accident, as you know. I think it was uh, John Lennon's J45 lent up against an amplifier, I believe. Something like that. Yeah, and Paul McCartney said, oh, that's a great sound, can we use that? <laughs> well, they did. Excellent. OK, final question then, Graham. We spoke earlier on about one of your favourite guitars being the Fender Stratocaster. Mm -hmm. There are quite a few brands which are very well known. Fender, obviously, mm -hmm. as you've spoken about, the, the Gibson, a Rickenbacker as well. I just wondered, with electric guitars of that kind being quite expensive, being towards the upper end of the market, let's say, yeah. is that... Because they are a better guitar, are they built better? Are the pickups better? Or is there some kind of link to perhaps, let's say, Rickenbacker, for example, the Beatles are well-known mm -hmm. for using a Rickenbacker, Paul Weller as well, Hank Marvin, Eric Clapton with the Stratocaster, very well-known, and the Les Paul yeah. rock bands, innumerable. Is this purely the case that it's something which is a famous name? Or is it to do with the quality and the way they're made at all? Um, yeah, but obviously you've got to think about that, yes, you are paying for the name now, without doubt. You could get a copy of a Fender Stratocaster, the chances are they would play and sound just as good as a real Fender for probably half the price. There, were, there was a famous situation in the early 1980s where a, a Japanese brand called Tokai bought out a copy and uh, actually really worried Fender at the time because it was such a good copy. And it was a half, if not a third of the price of the real thing. And people were comparing it. And, the, and now people consider that guitar a collector's item because they were very good. So you are paying for the name, but then at the same time, the, the name had to be achieved in the first place. OK? Obviously, there's a bit of history there because the Fenders and the Gibsons and the Rickenbackers and the Gretches were the first classic electric guitars. So maybe they didn't have so much competition 
to, to, to be able to achieve that famous name, but they achieved it nevertheless, and they were and still are very good guitars. Yes, you're paying a bit for the name, but and uh, I guess there was a little bit of a snobbery value for me because I still use Fenders, I've still got a Gibson, I still use Gretsch's, and, and yes, I could probably have bought all those guitars for a lot less money if I'd gone for a copy. But, you know, to be fair, they are still good guitars. You've got that safety net of knowing that it, chances are if you bought a Fender, if you buy a Gibson, you buy a Gretsch, you buy a Rickenbacker or an Ibanez or there's some of the more modern brands now that you are getting a good guitar. You've got that seal of approval. But, yes, you could buy a copy. The chances are will be pretty much as good for considerably less money. OK, one sneaky last question. Go on. I know I said the last one was... We spoke about what made a good acoustic guitar, mm -hmm. the woods, the strings, etc. What is it that makes a good electric guitar? Same thing. Same thing, really. You've got the quality of the woods. Uh, different woods, Fenders, generally speaking, are ash and older. Most of the Gibsons, the classic Les Pauls are mahogany, but they are I know obviously different woods again you use, but they're the most they're the most popular. But the same same things apply. The quality of the piece of wood that was used, you could pick two guitars off a peg, two identical-looking Fender Telecasters that came off the same production line, one will sound a bit different. Not necessarily better, but they will sound different because they're different pieces of wood. But as long as the people in the factory are choosing good pieces of wood, then you've got a good chance of a decent guitar. The quality of the pickups. Obviously, there's a big thing about hand-wound pickups. Yeah, yeah, the amount of time spent winding a pickup can make a difference. The quality of the magnets. The quality of the machine heads is very important as well because, you know, you don't want a guitar going out of tune all the time. So a good quality machine head, let me show you, sorry, I should explain. The machine head is the, is the winding peg at the top of the guitar where the string goes around that tightens and loosens the string so you can change the tuning. But they've got to be good quality. The gearing's got to be good, otherwise the guitar will be going out of tune all the time. And then the overall construction, the way the guitar is built, the quality of all the other parts, the bridge all the other electrics, the tone pots, the volume pots, etc. If you're buying a good guitar, you are paying for better materials all round. It's not just the wood. But the principle is the same as an acoustic guitar. Put uh, better quality woods, etc., in, you get a better guitar. But you could find a fantastic 50-year-old piece of ash and make a lovely guitar out of it. But if you don't build it properly, if you don't put the TLC into constructing it, you won't have a very good guitar, so it's not just the wood. Thanks there to Graham Buxton. So while it is perhaps true that we are paying for a brand, there is a level of quality which is behind the names, which accounts at least partly towards the price. Yeah, that's how it would appear. Although that's possibly the case in most industry, whether we're talking about tools or food or fashions, let's say. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's another factor here as well. Um, while I was talking to Graham, we also spoke about the different kinds of amplifiers which guitarists like to use to get a particular sound or volume. Older models, perhaps obviously, have a, a valve-based circuit which the users and fans say give a warmer sound in comparison to the more current transistor amps. So valves, that's very old stuff. So what are the advantages to each type? Well, there's a few. As, as you might expect, the valve amps tend to be heavier and are more fragile than the modern counterparts, and they tend to waste a lot of heat energy being given off from the valves. On the plus side, they tend to clip or flatten the extremes of sound waves to a much lesser extent, which means they provide a smoother, less distorted sound. 
In addition, valves are more easily replaced. They just pull out or push back in, but they're not perhaps as easily sourced. But there is a lot more to it. Okay, well, thanks for that. Maybe there's plenty there for another show. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. Now for a catch-up of some science news in the local area. And we'll start with a little bit of advance notice for people wishing to participate in the Cambridge Science Festival. While the festival itself is not until 2015, applications are now open for, as they put it, awesome people, companies, labs, businesses and organisations to host events and programmes to celebrate science, technology, engineering, art and math. Absolutely. And the applications for that will close on December the 5th this year. If you would like more details and you want to take part, if you go to the website, that's dub dub dub, or one word coming up here, cambridgesciencefestival.org, and have a look round for the uh, relevant icons and buttons. Slightly sooner than that, we've got news of the Big Biology Day at the Hills Road Sixth Form College. That's running from 10am till 4pm next Saturday, the 18th of October. Yep, and the Big Biology Day is a one-day science festival for all ages that celebrates the life sciences and engages everyone with an array of biological topics through hands-on activities, crafts and displays. Amongst many other activities, you'll be able to have a go at dissecting owl pellets, test your brain with mirror writing, discover what cells and mitochondria do, and get to meet lots of animals. Oh, Starting October the 20th and running until November the 2nd. All over Cambridge, we also have the Festival of Ideas. This festival includes workshops, activities, debates and lectures, and it's celebrating the arts, humanities and social sciences through hundreds of events. And many of these are free. And being run by the public engagement team at the University of Cambridge, museums, art houses, theatres and even the Cambridge Junction are opening their doors for the festival. And of course, with the long duration of the festival, as you might imagine, the range of events is huge. The website, www.festivalofideas.cam.ac.uk, lists 25 pages of events which cross all fields of scientific interest. Although, of course, in the best of radio traditions, we have to tell you that other subjects are available. Uh Coming up also on Wednesday the 22nd of October, from 7pm till 9pm, the Cambridge Science Centre is presenting an evening entitled The Science of Fiction, Future. Asking the question, can fiction predict the future? The people at the Science Centre will be putting your questions to best-selling author Alistair Reynolds, futurist Melissa Sterry, astrobiologists Lewis Dartnell and historian Melanie Keane. There's a recommended donation of £3 payable on the evening and that's at the Cambridge Science Centre on Jesus Lane. Ah, and for another bit of advance notice from our science centre, but at a slightly different venue, and also if that's if you're looking for a family day of science, and it looks like great fun, I've read through all the documentation about it, we're going to tell you all about the Chain Reaction event, and that's coming up next month. Yep, it's now in its fourth year, and the Chain Reaction event will be running at the Guildhall in Market Square in Cambridge on Saturday the 22nd of November, involving families, schools and local companies who will get stuck into building a huge chain of contraptions that trigger one another 
around the room and across the stage. That's a date for your diaries. Absolutely. Plenty going on around in Cambridge. Don't forget, of course, that festival has all sorts of uh, topics going on. You really need to take time out to look through that. Well, thanks, chaps. And that's pretty much all for today's science show on Cambridge 105. In a few days' time, you'll find a podcast recording of the show at our website, which is www.cambridge105.fm. And you can now pick up our podcasts on iTunes. All you've got to do is search for 105 Science. Our next show, by the way, on Cambridge 105 will be in two weeks' time on Saturday at 2.30pm. And if you want a reminder of that, just follow us on the Twitter at 105science again. Meanwhile, if you have a science event to promote and tell everyone about, you've got a question about science that you think is worth sharing, you can email us on the email on science at cambridge105.fm. And that leaves us... Neil? Well, it leaves us to say many thanks to our, our guest today. That's Graham Buxton. So I'll say goodbye from me, Neil Ainsby. So goodbye from me, Noel Purcell. And bye from me, Roger Frost. Mm-hmm.